Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. This morning I want to share with you about the why and the how of being saved. Are you glad that you're saved this morning if you are? I mean, how, how glad are you that you're saved? Do you appreciate the fact that you're saved this morning? Amen. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 30. But first let's hold our Bibles to heaven and say thank you, Father, for your holy written word. It's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your words are life to me and health to all of my flesh. I have what your word says I have. I am what your word says I am. I can do what your word says I can do. Holy Spirit, anoint my ears to hear, my heart to receive, my mind to be open to the knowledge of the truth that makes me free. Quicken me according to the word. Change me from glory to glory. And I boldly say, I will never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name. You know, when Jesus came the first time, he didn't come for political reasons. He came, of course, born of a virgin. He went into Jerusalem, of course, riding on a donkey and all that. He was humbled, meek before mankind. And he came to deal with a sin problem. Not a political problem, not the economy or anything of that nature. He came to deal with the problem of sin lodged in the hearts of men. But there's coming a time where he'll come again on a white horse, not a donkey. He's going to come and he's going to set the world straight. He's going to set the world of politics straight. The government will rest upon his shoulders. And trust me, the only mandate you're going to have is the word of the Most High God. Can you say amen to that? So we want to talk about how he came to deal with the sin problem that's in the heart of every person. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, my message is just the why and the how of being saved. Notice it says in the New Living Translation, Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. What a cry from the heart of God. I'm giving you a choice, life or death. You see, when God made us in the very beginning, he made us free moral agents. And he gave us one of the most powerful tools in our lives, which is free will. We can choose our destiny. We can choose our destination. It's such a powerful tool that he said, look, I just can't let you have it without testing you so that you can prove to me what you will do with it. Will you choose to serve me and live for me and have life or will you not? It's up to the individual. And of course, I think we all know what happened with Adam and Eve. They made a choice and the choice was not to serve God, not to walk with God, but to disobey God. 
Now we understand in the beginning it started with Lucifer, who was created by God and given parameters or boundaries, which he was to stay within. And then, of course, Adam was created in the image and likeness of God and given boundaries as well. And just as Lucifer stepped across those boundaries, and of course he fell and brought supposedly many of the angels with him, Adam and Eve did the same thing. They stepped beyond the boundaries that God established for their existence by choice. And of course, they fell as well. So, understanding this, our main concern should be for all of us, every one of us, is where we will spend our eternal living. Every single one of us is created an eternal spirit being who will never cease to exist. No matter what anybody else might teach you out there, as far as I'm concerned, the only teacher to listen to is Jesus Christ himself. Amen. And according to him, there's only two places that we leave to go to when we leave this realm of life. And we see that in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. And look at these verses. This is from the King James. It came to pass, as he spoke of two individuals that lived and died, that the beggar died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. So now they're both dead. And in hell, that is the rich man, lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. So there's two places that we go to. One's a place of comfort and one's a place of torment. God will never force us to choose life if we don't want to. He won't twist our arms to see to it that we follow his plan. But he made a way possible for all of us to spend our eternity with him in a place of comfort. And avoid going to a place of eternal torment. Now why is it so important that we make this decision now? Well, once we leave this realm, we enter into eternity, which is eternal. Meaning there's no second chance if you commit a crime in our society today, maybe you'll be punished by going to prison for a year or two or more, knowing that one day you're going to get out. You might get paroled for good behavior, etc. Well, that's wonderful to know. But when you enter eternity, it is eternal and there is no chance of ever getting out. The man that's been crying out, as we just read here, for someone to dip the tip of his finger and cool his tongue, is still crying out today. Because he's still tormented today. After 2,000 some odd years, he is still in the place of eternal torment. So, we all need saved. Every single one of us needs saved from this awful fate. And my message today is designed to help us make the right choice, the right decision, to choose life and not death. I want to begin with the why of salvation or being saved. Why does everyone need saved? Well, number one, in Adam, everyone dies spiritually. 
in Adam, every single individual born into this world dies spiritually. We're on a crash course with torment and eternal destruction, no matter who we are. We see this in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. This is from the New Century Version. Sin came into the world because of what one man did. And with sin came death. This is why everyone must die because everyone sinned. And the best way to describe it is this. When Adam rebelled against God and sinned, his spirit was separated from God. His bloodstream was tainted with sin. And being the father of us all, of all humanity, because his blood was tainted with sin, then that sin nature would be passed upon all men just through being born into the world. So you see, it has nothing to do with our behavior. It has everything to do with our condition. Man needs saved because of his condition. He does what he does as far as his behavior is concerned, as it says in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, because of his condition. And that's why he would live a life that would be in rebellion against God, being dead in sins and trespasses. So because of Adam, one man, and I'm sure that when we get there to glory, if he's still there, if he's there, we'll take it up with him. Just like you ladies are going to take it up with Eve for pain and childbearing. Am I correct? Well, by then you might forget about it. I don't know. In the book of Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, because of what Adam did, everyone must, everybody say must, must, must be saved. The word must there means it's required. It is vital. It is necessary that you be saved. Has nothing to do, once again, with how you've lived your life since you've been born. It has to everything to do with the condition you were born into. Notice this. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we, what's that word? Must be saved. It's necessary. It's vital. It's required that we all be saved. Because of our condition. So, number two, we can't save ourselves. But look at these verses before I even look at that. John chapter 3, I'm sure you've read this at one time or another in your life. Look at John 3 and verse 7. This is Jesus speaking to a man who was a religious man. And he said to him, Marvel not that I said unto thee, You what? It's required of you, it is necessary for you. It is vital to you that what? You be saved. Look at John's, I'm sorry, Acts 16 and verses 30 and 31. And brought them out. This is the Philippian jail, jail year that took place when Paul and Silas were in prison. Sirs, what must, what is necessary, required of me? What is vital for me to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. So the point being made is this, we must be saved. Everyone must be saved. And it has nothing to do with our background, has nothing to do with our religious convictions, has nothing to do with our gender, our race, nothing to do with our behavior or anything of that. It's our condition that's addressed by Jesus. A fallen condition, a fallen state, and we're all on the road to destruction 
without being saved. Now, number two, also, we can't save ourselves this is another reason why we must be saved. In the book of Matthew, chapter 19, when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men, this is mm, somewhat possible. Mm, no, it's what? Say it again. With man, it is impossible for one to be saved. But with God, all things are possible. It's an impossibility, no matter who you are, no matter who I am, to save ourselves. That is impossible. No amount of human effort can help someone be saved. Oftentimes, when I first got saved, I've heard people say, but they're such a good person. They do such wonderful things. Look, they had nothing to do with their condition of heart. Adam did. And no amount of good effort and good work could ever save them. Because they can't eradicate that from their spirit, that condition of spiritual death and separation from God. So it doesn't matter how good we are, how many good deeds we do. It doesn't matter how much religious activity we engage ourselves in. We cannot save ourselves at some point, people were cutting themselves. Asceticism, cutting themselves, thinking that I can appease the gods by showing them just how repentant I am for the condition I'm living in. That won't save you either. You can give your body to be burned, and that's not going to save you either. It's not going to save me. No, even keeping the Jewish law is not going to save a soul. Look in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. How many can be made right with God? For the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Faith has nothing to do with our works or our keeping the law. It's impossible. Oftentimes you'll hear people say, well, the, the Jewish people, that's God's people, so they're automatically saved. That's not true. Their way of salvation was to come to Christ. And that's why Messianic Jews are those that believe in the blood of Jesus Christ. So we can't save ourselves no matter how religious we are, what good deeds we do. Nothing can change the course of destruction that humanity is on. In the book of Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 25 Solomon said it this way, There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I once remember some individual telling me when I was concerned about making heaven, and he patted me on my leg and just said, Just be good enough, just do some good deeds, and you'll be okay, you'll pass the test. And that told me he himself, although an elder in his church, did not know the way of salvation. Imagine someone who is in this position in his church never heard you must be born again. And I'm talking about for many, many, many years. A position that he held in the church. I just looked at him and I said, that's not true. It's not what I can do. Jesus said, you must 
be born again. This one, this one actually went off and told other people that I'm some kind of communist. Because I believe that. Well, you know what? People think that's a narrow-minded view, but Jesus said straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. And few there be that find it. Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to eternal destruction. And many find it. See, it's important that we take our eternity to heart. Because once we leave this realm, it is forever and there's never a second chance. The man who is in a place of eternal suffering cried out to Abraham and said, I've got five brothers on the planet. Can you imagine becoming a flaming evangelist in a place called hell? He's now concerned about the salvation of his brothers on the earth. That tells me so much. He has consciousness. He has awareness. He has memory. He knows who his brothers are. He knows where they live. He wants someone else to go there and get them saved. So this man, if you want to say he's dead, or oh, maybe he's not in his body, but he's still very much alive in a place of suffering. And that will be throughout eternity for this person because he absolutely rejected the plan of salvation that God had for him. Another man is comforted. So if our loved ones are in a place like that, and they're concerned about our eternity. How much more someone who is in a place of eternal glory wants all of us to be together with them up there in that place where we experience the, the blessings of heaven. So it's impossible to save ourselves no matter what we attempt to do to save ourselves. We can't do it. Number three, because God has already made provision for us to be saved. Now, why is that important to know? Why is that a why we need to be saved? Because this. God would never provide something we don't need. And if God provided something that we need, and he knows better than we do, then we need it. It's a reason why. God made provision for us to be saved. We need it. John 3.16, I'm sure you know the verse. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes on him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. He made it possible for man to be saved, which tells us it's necessary. Here's why we need to be saved. Why in the world would God go through providing for us an incarnation, the second person of deity, leaving the throne, to robe himself in flesh, to become a man, to walk upon this earth, and communicate the love of God to us, the very heart of God to us, if it wasn't necessary for us to be saved. Why would he have to then live a life of challenge as he did to prove that man on earth could obey God as the second Adam, and then go to a cross where he would suffer and die if it wasn't necessary? And why would he have to die a death that is beyond our comprehension to understand to die in such a way that his visage was so marred more than any man, he didn't appear to be human-like. Why would he have to go through that length? That is, he became the sin of the world. You know, it's one thing that we are impacted and affected by sin. We know sin hurts. We know we've been hurt by it. Others hurting us, and maybe we hurt others as well. There's nothing good about it. But on that cross... He took upon himself 
the fullness of the wrath of God. The very wrath of God that should have been placed on all humanity all came into one being. And his name is Jesus. We can't even begin to imagine when all that entered into him, how his body was impacted by it, that he, he didn't look human-like. Sometimes we leave that out. This is not the passion of the Christ where we're looking at him bleeding. We're talking about an entrance of the fullness of the curse and the wrath of God into his being that distorted his body so badly he didn't appear to be human. It's beyond our comprehension even to understand that. And then the wrath of God upon him where he suffered for us, what we should have suffered. And God raising him from the dead on the third day, the resurrection. Entering back into his body that is glorified now. And still not done. I've not ascended to my Father in yours, my God in yours. And he takes his blood to the high court of heaven. You talk about an event, an occurrence, a provision that was made for us. And then he offered up his blood there. And after it was accepted and he obtained eternal redemption for us, he came back to the earth for 40 days on this earth, eating with his disciples, appearing to his disciples, walking through walls, Walking with two men on the road to Emmaus and explaining some things that they should have known uh, when they thought he was off, you know, because he didn't know what was going on in Jerusalem. Little did they know it was all about him that was going on in Jerusalem. But then finally they saw it. Their eyes were open to it. He went to great length to make it very clear to all the 500 at one time. If anybody denies the resurrection, there's 500 people. And Paul said many of which are still alive today to verify we saw him die, we saw him rise, and we saw him walk through walls, eat with us, and so on. And then after he was ascended, can you imagine being there when uh, 40 days are up? Tells his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem till you're filled with the Holy Ghost and power. And then they looked up and they watched him. Their eyes were open to the spiritual realm and they ascended. And they watched his body just go into where they couldn't see it any longer. Like a balloon that you release that lets that go. And it's just higher and higher and higher. And finally it's gone. And then a coronation service takes place in heaven. Again, beyond our comprehension. Because he set aside his mighty power and glory, he had to be reinstated. And there was a ceremony that took place. And once again... All the angels must bow to him. If that wasn't necessary, then why? We need saved. God went to great lengths to save us. So imagine that. It's necessary because of Adam's sin and we're all on a destructive path. It's necessary because we can't save ourselves. That's an impossibility. It's necessary because God made a way possible that we need to choose to follow. Now, how can someone be saved? Now we know why, but how can someone be saved? Well, since you asked, look at John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 29. There's only one way. Once again, narrow-minded. 
But there's only one way. There is no other way. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Who takes away the sin of the world? Only Jesus. I know that's not popular today. I know public figures on TV look down upon people that say that. Because they think you're putting down their religion, their belief system. Well, let's look at it this way. If Jesus Christ himself said there's only one way, and he's the only way, truth, and life, then there's only one way. I've learned early in my walk, since I've been born again, that people have all kinds of different views and opinions but it's the love of God and the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. And I'm not putting anybody else's view down at all. I'm sharing the view of the Son of God. Only He can take away the sin of the world. Okay? Well, look at these verses. John chapter 10, verse 9. These are His statements, not mine. I am the door, He said. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And shall go in and out and find pasture. Christ said that. John 14, 6. I just quoted it to you. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. In 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man... Who's the man? If someone ever says to you when you walk in the room, say, hey, he's the man. Uh, no. Don't accept that. Don't receive that. There's only one that qualifies for being the man. Who's the man? Is it Confucius? Is it Muhammad? Is it Buddha? And is it Krishna? And the list goes on and on. No, not at all. None of them. There's only one. And his name is what? In the book of Revelation, I love this section so much, it just blesses my heart every time I read it, quote it, whatever. Talking about Jesus when we're up there in glory, and it says, And hath made us kings and priests unto our God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever and ever. Amen. Behold, this should be chapter 5. Chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. That's a mistake. Sorry about that. But anyhow, I'll quote it. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the there. Then I saw a lamb as it looked as it had been slaughtered. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beasts and among them 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And every part of it, he stepped forward, took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they had gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sung a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it for you were slaughtered. And your blood is ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people 
and nation. You have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. When no man in heaven, and no man on earth, and no man under the earth, or such as are in the sea, was found worthy to take the book and loose the seals thereof, there is one man, the man, this is why he's the man, only one man could come and take the book and loose it and give place to what's going to happen next, which would be the seven-year tribulation and so on. But his name is Jesus, the only one worthy to do it. So there is salvation in none other. And all these other means and methods and all these other religions and all that, they can't possibly satisfy the claims of justice held against mankind. Okay, look at the next. Only Christ can bridge the gap between a holy God and a sinful society of people. You can look at it this way. It's called the four spiritual laws. God loves every one of us. But sin has separated us from God so that we're on one side of the, say, uh, ravine, and he's on the other. And we can't cross over to him, and he can't cross over to us by our works. There's only one who will bridge the gap between God and man. Not two, not three, but one. His name is Jesus. He bridges the gap. So God loves us, but sin separates us. But Jesus came to bridge the gap between God and man and make a way for God to get back to man and man to get back to God. And then that leaves us with the fourth spiritual law is we have to respond to what God has done. Would it not be wonderful that it automatically came to us in a new birth? That once Jesus was raised from the dead, that everybody on the earth was also raised from spiritual death. But that's not how it works. Because God made us free moral agents, we must decide. He's not talking about deciding to go to church on Sunday morning or deciding to do a good deed. He's talking about Jesus wants our lives. He gave his life for us. Now he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That's up to you. Look at these verses. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 25, here's why he's the only way. He was handed over to die because of our sins. He was raised to life to make us right with God. How can you be made right with God? Only if Jesus is raised to life. Was he raised to life? Yes, he was. But I've got a choice to make. Do I accept his sacrifice? And do I follow him? Or do I not? Look at the next verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God made Jesus to be sin for us. Who knew no sin. Not anybody else. Look at the next one. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18 from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. That he might bring you to God after being put to death in the fleshly realm. But made alive in the spiritual realm. So who else qualifies that you know of? What other religious figure qualifies that you know of? Whoever made a claim, as Jesus did, but then proved the claim by a resurrection from the dead? No one. Only Christ did what was necessary for us to have salvation or to be saved. 
He's the only one. Also, the only way to be saved then is through faith, by grace through faith. Look at Ephesians 2.8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Notice, I can't boast about one thing that helped me get saved. There's not a thing in the world I could possibly do to be right with God. It's not my behavior. It's my condition. And the only way my condition can be changed is by my accepting someone who did what was necessary for me to be right with God. You know why we should be so in love with Jesus? Because he did what was necessary for us all to be right with God. And if he didn't die, the death that he died, we could never be right with God. We should be so in love with Jesus. Someone says, is it right to do this? Is it right to do that? Is this a sin? Is that a sin? It has nothing to do with that. Are you in love with Jesus? And if you're in love with Jesus and you realize what he did for you, you and I will want to pick up this book and find out what he says about what's right and what's wrong. Wouldn't you agree with that? I love you so much, Lord, and you sacrificed so much for me. My brain can't even go there. Can your brain go there to think about what it was like for the second person of deity to enter into the womb of a virgin? To be submitted to a birth and a growing process? When you're the creator of the universe? And then to be ridiculed, mocked, scoffed at, and then die the death you died? To be raised up? For me, we shouldn't have to twist anybody's arm, right? Look, I spent 24 years in church and never knew I had to be born again. You know what? I was so upset with my spiritual leaders at that time. I wanted to scream because I wanted to make heaven. I didn't want to be lost and spend eternity in a place of torment. So I thank God for those that... The Lord sent my way to let me know I had to be born again. So how am I saved? By grace through faith. Ephesians 2 and verse 8. Not by my works, not by what my deeds are, what I've ever done. In John's gospel chapter, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 4. Let's look at that verse again because that verse tells us so much. Acts 4.12, Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other. Neither is there salvation in any other. I would love to put this on every broadcasting media method that we have in all the world. There is salvation in no other. None. There is none other name under heaven. Do you know how many names are under heaven? Notice this is a name under heaven. That means it's here among men. On earth among men. Whereby we must. It's required, necessary and vital. To be saved. There's only one name. And that name is Jesus. Because of who he is. Because of what he's done. There's only one name. To call upon to be saved. We should be so in love with Jesus. For what he's done for us. We shouldn't have to be prodded in any way. To attend church. 
to live right, to forgive other people, to walk in love. You've been forgiven. I've been forgiven. I shouldn't find a toothpick in your eye when I got a beam in mine. Right? Right. All right. How do we get saved? Look at John's Gospel, chapter 1. Verse 11. He came to his own. Who are they? The Jewish people. He called them out through Abraham. Called them a mighty nation. Right? And the creator came to them. And his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. Because you see, there's the only one name. And you realize to the Orthodox Jew, that name is a curse. It is not accepted whatsoever. So there's only one name. We got to receive him. Look at the next verse in John, uh, Romans chapter 8. And here is very clear. It couldn't be any clearer than this. He's speaking once again to a crowd of people, letting them know that you went about establishing your own righteousness in the law, but you could never do that. And you're not accepting God's way of salvation. Well, here it is. But what saith this? What saith what? The word that saves that is near you. It's in your mouth and your heart. Hold that thought. I saw this little video, and sometimes you wonder, you see these things on YouTube and all that, but either they're telling the truth or they're lying. I don't know why they would lie about something like this, but the fellow that I was listening to was his, his uh, conversation with Jesus when he had gone to heaven, and Jesus talked to him, and he came back to the earth, and he says, now tell these people. He said, most people destroy their own lives because of their mouths. This is Jesus speaking. He says, tell them. It's what's coming out of here from here that's destroying their lives. And if they want to change their destiny and destination, they've got to work on their heart and their mouth. And he said, and you, he's talking to this person, have done this to yourself. Now, I'm changing your course by changing your words and your heart. It's up to you to do the right thing, and tell others to do the same thing. It's in your heart and your mouth. Your mouth. The word is near you in your mouth and your heart, the word of faith that we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the lordship of Jesus and believe that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes to righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek or the Gentile. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We must receive him. We must believe and believe from the heart and confess him as Lord and Savior of our lives. And finally, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 we don't want to exclude this aspect of being saved. Then Peter said, as he preached his sermon on the day of Pentecost, repent. He's talking to the Jewish people that are there and everybody else for the day of Pentecost. Repent. That means be born again. Be baptized, every one of you, that's water baptism, in the name of Christ, Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. 
and you shall receive the gift, number three, baptism of the Holy Ghost. For it's to you and your children, as many as are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So we must receive him. We must believe from the heart. We must confess with the mouth the Lordship of Jesus. Repent means to make a change of heart and mind that I'm going to live my life a different way. Now remember, we, we do this all the time. Just say this prayer and you come to Christ, you'll be saved. But we don't know what's in the heart of a person. I've done this and I've tested it out. I sat with someone for, I wouldn't say three or four months talking to this person. And at the beginning, he accepted Christ as his Savior. Three months into it, maybe four months into it, I said to the person, from my observation of you, you did not accept Christ from your heart. Am I right? He said, you're absolutely right. I was just doing that to please somebody else. I said, is that true? He said, yeah. So you see, I can only, and you can only lead someone in a sinner's prayer. You can't make their heart be what it needs to be. What you heard today is someone loved you, whether you're viewing by live streaming or here in our sanctuary, someone loved you so much that he died the most horrific death beyond comprehension than any being could have possibly died. The fullness of the wrath of the God who created all of us was placed upon him so that you and I would be free from a place of eternal torment. If that doesn't move me to say, I have decided to follow Jesus. To deny myself, take up my cross, I'm following you. Then I don't know what will. And I don't know what can. It's not just being good enough. Because you can never. But it's seeing someone who was good enough. And saying, come into my heart. Take me. Recreate my spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. If any man be in Christ. Any man. He is a new creation. This says, another translation says, a new species of being that never before existed. Notice this. All things have passed away. You've passed. From death to life. And all things are brand new. You know what? When you have that relationship with him, you want to serve him. Let's stand together before the throne.